As a community, First Baptist Felton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. Come join us on Sundays at one of our worship services at 8.30 or 11 a.m. and for Bible study at 9.45 a.m. We hope today's message encourages and strengthens your faith in God. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Father, we live in a world of fear and confusion and concern But I pray that those of us who know Jesus will remember that you are our rock. You are our foundation. And upon you do we stand and in you we trust. So speak to us this morning from your precious word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we begin a series that will take us through Easter Sunday morning, April 12th, entitled Steps to the Cross. And I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to John's Gospel, the 12th chapter. John chapter 12, and in a few moments, we'll read verses 1 through 19. Jesus was fully aware of what was coming with purpose He moves to Jerusalem knowing there he will be crucified and knowing also the coming glory of his bodily resurrection from the tomb. It is worth noting that in his final days, Jesus spends most of his time with his friends, which of course included the disciples, but others that we will meet or meet again this morning. He has come down from the area around the Sea of Galilee on his way to die, and he stops, according to the Scripture, at Bethany to stay with the folks who were perhaps his very best friends. Bethany is on the top of the mountain range that overlooks Jerusalem, and Bethany is the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. In chapter 11, immediately preceding the verses that we will read, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And the word has spread throughout the land. And people are even journeying to Bethany to go by the house of Lazarus in hope of catching a glimpse of him out in his courtyard or through an open window or coming or going People just want to see face-to-face the man who was dead and is now alive by the power of Jesus. So here's the setup. I want to read the last few verses from John chapter 11 and then invite you to stand as we read beginning with verse 1 of chapter 12. So here's the setup to the text today, chapter 11, if you want to follow it, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews, this is after the resurrection of Lazarus, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did 
believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Was was no one asking the obvious question, is this really the Messiah we have been awaiting? Apparently not among the religious leaders. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleaning before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and they stood in the temple courts, and they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it that they might arrest him. So that is our setting for this morning's text. And stand with me as we read from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified, 
did they realize that these things had been written about and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And you may be seated. These two events in the life of Jesus are also related in two other Gospels, Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, in much the same way as it is recorded here in John. So I want us to embrace uh, two things, get our arms around two things this morning as we think about the steps to the cross. And the two things that I want us to think about are uh, sweet, sweet worship and a stunning welcome. So let's start first with sweet worship. Now, have you noticed the word sweet, um, I won't say has changed its meaning, but it has taken on additional meanings in, in recent years. Until a few years ago, you would say the word sweet, and you would think of uh, a drink or food that had been enhanced in its taste by sugar. And we would say, well, that's sweet tea, or that's a sweet drink. Um, and, and so that was generally the word. for Now, some of some people, particularly I think people in the South, would use the word sweet and would, it would be synonymous with precious. Uh, not that many men necessarily go around using that word, but, but the word sweet became the same as the word precious. So uh, for, for a long time, those were kind of dual meanings for the word sweet. But in the last few years, sweet has come to take on a new meaning. Uh, it, it means real, good, or genuine. You've heard people say sweet, you know, kind of sweet. A, a, a basketball player hits a 20-foot jump shot and somebody would say sweet. Um, you, you have a, a delicious steak and you say sweet. And you don't mean that the, the steak has been enhanced with sugar. You just mean it's good. It's really good. So sweet has come to, to take on a new meaning. So with all that in mind, I want us to think this morning about sweet worship, real good, genuine worship that we see in the text we've read this morning. So I want us to begin thinking about it by thinking about the action that takes place. We are about a week before the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is in Bethany. The distance from Bethany to Jerusalem is about the distance from the church to H-E-B. The difference being Going from Bethany to Jerusalem, you go down. Going from the church to H-E-B, you go up. But it was about the same distance. So the night after he arrived, there is a dinner that is given in honor of Jesus. And Mark and Matthew tell us that it is at the house of one named Simon the leper. And perhaps if we wanted to be a tad more accurate, we would say Simon the former leper. For he has been healed by Jesus himself. And the text tells us that Martha serves, and she does that very, very well, as we see in a few places in Scripture. Lazarus is present, and that is a wow factor added to the dinner because there are no doubt people walking by outside because the house of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary has become sort of a tourist attraction, and people are walking by hoping that 
they can see Lazarus through an open window or that he just might happen to come outside and they can see the man who once was dead but was raised to life by Jesus. Mary, the scripture tells us, takes a pint of very, very expensive perfume. And John says she poured it on his feet. Matthew and Mark say she poured it on his head. There's no contradiction there. It is both. You pour it on his head, it's going to end up on his feet. And so John is emphasizing what what Mary did once the, the perfume reached his, his feet. But it is very, very, very expensive perfume. It, this was an act of worship that was astonishing to those who were watching. Now, I've read a lot of commentaries, and, they've all, and most of them have tried to equivocate. How do you make that equal to today's dollars? And uh, I don't know how you do that, except it was worth a day's wages, according to Judas Iscariot, I mean, a year's wages. And so the, uh, the figure I saw most frequently was approximately $25,000. That is an astonishing number for a pint of perfume. And what Mary did with it is even more astonishing as she takes that perfume. And Mark says she broke the bottle. So she's not saving any. She broke the bottle and poured it over Jesus. And then in what no doubt drew a few, (gasps) she let down her hair, something that a Jewish woman would never do in the presence of non-family members. She let her hair down and she wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair in what can only be called a pure, genuine, real, sacrificial act of worship. It's amazing. Now, the house begins to smell excellent. And and she used every drop of that perfume, every drop of this pure nard, And those present were stunned, and for a few moments, the room was silent. But someone will speak. But we'll wait a moment for that. So that's the action that takes place in the house of Simon, the former leper. I want us next to think about the insight. Why did Mary do this? Jesus' own words reveal to us why she did it. Mary knew what was about to happen to Jesus. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. Remember where we see Mary and what she is doing in previous texts in Scripture? Do you remember the dispute she had with her sister Martha? When Jesus was present for a meal and Martha was scurrying about getting all the food ready, and that's a good thing. That text is not intended to be critical of Martha. She was serving, and man, do we need Martha's. But where was Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word that he said. And remember, Martha was critical. Would you ask my sister to help me? (laughs) Get up in here and help me with the food. But Jesus said, no, she has done a better, an even better thing. Now, here's why Mary knew what was coming. Are you, do you see where I'm going? Here's why Mary knew what was coming when others around apparently didn't. 
Mary had been sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to every word he said. And she knew the time has come. And in a symbolic picture of of his burial, she pours that perfume over him to anoint his body with perfume that she had, Jesus said, had been saving for his death. She now pours it out over his head and, and wipes his feet with her hair. And she has a deep spiritual insight that apparently no one else in the room had at this point in time. And there are two words that I think summarize the deep spiritual insight that Mary had. And those two words are worship and sacrifice. And those two words go together if they are both real. Worship and sacrifice. So we have some insight into why Mary did this. We see the action. We see the insight. But there's a third thing that we want to see in the text, and that is the reaction. And there is one. And there always will be one. There is the reaction. It is, it is swift, it is loud, and it is negative. Judas, in his first recorded words in Scripture, um, criticizes what Mary did and others join in. They, they always will. They, they need somebody to lead the way. They'll be the person who speaks up with the, with the negative picture of, of what is good. And you can count on the fact that there will be others who will join in with him or her, and that's exactly what, what happens. Now, Judas expresses a concern for the poor, but he had no concern for the poor. He is a fraud, and he is a thief, and uh, quite frankly, he's a devil. And the disciples would soon know all of this. He is a fraud. You know, he reminds me of, uh, of no names today, but he reminds me of some politicians who say, oh, I, I, man, we've got to do something to help the poor. But then when their their own giving record becomes public, becomes public, you discover they aren't giving anything or not much. And so they are exposed as, as a fraud, simply saying, uh, let's use your money to help the poor, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Well, well, Judas is worse than a fraud. He is a, he is a phony. He is a thief. He, he is a devil. And others join in with him. And I hope that they were embarrassed once they saw the truth. Now, there's a fourth thing that I want us to see here, and that's the symbolism. Anointing his body, in doing that, Mary is showing her devotion, her worship, and her love. Symbolic of the anointing of a dead body, she is anointing the body of Jesus. And I want us to note some things about her devotion and her worship. First of all, her devotion is public. She, she did not hide it. This was in front of everybody gathered. We don't know how many people were there, but everybody that was at the table, at the banquet, in the house, saw it. It was also planned. This is something that Mary had planned to do. This was not, I've read texts that said that she must have done this spontaneously. Why? Why would you think that? I mean, she had saved this up. I believe she planned to do this. 
she was the, the gift was sacrificial, no doubt, very monetarily sacrificial. It was lavish. It was personal, very personal. It was hers, and she herself did it and then washed his feet. And it was without embarrassment. There was no embarrassment on the part of Mary for this very public act of an expression of love, devotion, and worship. In Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, David, in worshiping the Lord, says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. That's what Mary did. She is worshiping, and she is not worshiping or giving to Jesus something that costs her nothing, but she is giving to Jesus something that is very costly. It is an expression of the love and devotion that she has toward Jesus and her absolute certainty that he is the Messiah, that he is the one they've been waiting for, and he is soon to be the Savior of her soul. What a blessing that ripples through all of eternity. For Matthew in the chapter 26, as he relates this story, says, wherever the gospel is preached forever, this story will be told. And here we are in 2020 telling the story. What a blessing. Not so with Judas. Not so with Judas. Proverbs 10, 7 The name of the righteous is used in blessings, but the name of the wicked will rot. That's Judas. Nobody names their child Judas. Some people have been known to name their dogs Judas, but no one names their child Judas. It's a name of absolute disgrace. But many people have named their daughters Mary. And what an act of worship on her part the reaction spills over we go to verses 9 through 11 the word is spreading and the religious leaders say we cannot tolerate this any longer we're going to kill Lazarus because his witness is powerful and it's drawing people to come to the house and to believe in Jesus and we've got to kill Lazarus so they won't be seeing this once dead, now alive man any longer. And that's not symbolism. That is pure hatred. Now, I want us to apply the text before we leave this story. The application for you and for me. Very simple question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I know in our hearts, almost everyone in this room is saying, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Then corollary question, does it show by your worship? Does it show by your worship? Is it revealed in sacrifice? Is it experienced in love that is strong? Love is beautiful in sacrifice. Love is beautiful in contrast. Contrast Judas and Mary. Love is beautiful in its value. Love is winsome. Love is timely. 
Love is possible. She did what she could. Love is perceptive. And love is memorable. And we shall remember this forever. Now, I want us to think about the stunning welcome. And then we'll be finished. All four Gospels relate what we often call the triumphal entry or what happens on Palm Sunday. So I want us to remind ourselves of the action of the triumphal entry. It is a fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture found in the prophet Zechariah chapter 9. I invite you to read that. Zechariah chapter 9 is now fulfilled exactly in the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. The crowd heard he was coming. The crowd gathers. They have their palm branches, and they wave them, and they say, Hosanna, which means save, and they quote a psalm of ascent. A psalm of ascent would be a psalm that the people of Israel would sing as they made their ascent to worship in Jerusalem. And so Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, is exactly what they were singing and shouting as they laid their palm branches in front of Jesus on the back of the young donkey. This was a stunning way to enter the city. Filled with symbolism, when a conquering hero would come back to the capital and would enter the city he would always ride on the back of a white horse. But Jesus, in fulfillment of Scripture and in demonstration of His humility, rides into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. And the Scripture tells us the disciples are not certain what's happening or why it's happening. They have been hoping that this would be the time that Jesus would assert Himself and place himself upon the throne of David and run the Romans out of the nation. And the crowd, many of them spurred by the same hope, are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, and laying their palm branches in front of Jesus. This is the Messiah. Or this is the Messiah? I have a feeling that there were people saying it both ways. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah? On the back of a donkey? Where is the sword? Where is his army? Why are the Romans not running away? This is not what we expected. Others were saying, yes, this is the one. This is the long-awaited Messiah. We see the fulfillment of Scripture in this event. Old Testament prophecy fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. When Jesus got on the back of that donkey and began to ride into Jerusalem, He was saying what He had already said before, but He's saying it clearly without even using words. I am the Messiah. I am am the Christ. I am the long-awaited one. Just as he proclaimed that when he said, I and the Father are one. 
let there be no mistaking of the claim that Jesus is making as he rides into the city of Jerusalem, the back of this donkey. Now there's reaction. Some of the same people who are shouting Hosanna would shout crucify him in a few days. We have four groups of people along the way. There are visitors from outside of Judea who've been hearing stories and have come to see for themselves. We have those who are local, who were present at the raising of Lazarus, and they are leading the chants, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then there are the religious leaders who hated Jesus with all of their hearts and were determined to kill him. And then there are the Romans who watched, perhaps perplexed, perhaps with some amusement at the thought of a king riding into a city on the back of a donkey, but also with thoughts of caution. We must be very careful and not let this get out of hand. There is symbolism, it's a clear announcement. I am the Messiah. A donkey, not a horse. Zechariah 9, 9. It is a perfect fulfillment of what the prophet wrote about the coming of the Messiah. Jesus comes in humility, symbolizing that there will be suffering before there is triumph. There will be pain before there is victory. And when they shouted, Hosanna, which means save, Perhaps unbeknownst to some, they were expressing the very reason that Jesus had come. Now, there will be a time when he will come again. And when he does, it will be very, very different from that ride on the back of a donkey. In fact, Revelation 19, John says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he comes again, it will be altogether different. So let's apply the text. Three things. He came to save. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Do you belong to him? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Pastor, I know today I belong to Jesus. I have been saved. Or are you certain that you haven't? Today's the day. This is the time. To give your life to Christ. The application. He is worthy of praise. Do you? Do we? Do we praise him in worship? Do we praise him 
in our lives from day to day? Do we? Third application, he is demanding of obedience. Will you? Will you obey him in all that he says for you to do? Let's bow our heads for prayer. As we bow our heads together this morning, we know that in this place there are those who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And in the quietness of this moment, the Lord is speaking to your heart and saying to you, today is the day to give your heart and life to me. And so in a moment, I'm going to be standing in front of the Lord's Supper table. And when we stand and begin to sing, I invite you to come, place your hand in mine, and to say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus, and a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's Word, to share with you. Every believer in this room, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt we've been saved. We belong to Jesus. What about our praise? What about our worship? What about our obedience? Is it where it should be? If so, praise the Lord. If not, then today is the day to be obedient and to do what Jesus wants you to do. Father, we are a grateful, grateful people And we thank you so very, very much for giving the gift of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross and arose from the grave that we might be saved. So, Father, I know that there's someone here this morning who needs Jesus. Draw that one irresistibly to yourself even now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing. What is First Baptist Belton all about? How do I become a part of this community? Come learn more about our new members class offered the first Sunday of each month in the gym at 945 a.m. This is a great way to connect with others and learn more about our church.